0800 80 10 80 is our phone number. Or if you're a, a little reluctant to talk on the radio, that's fully understandable. So if you'd prefer to text your question to Nathan Wallace, just text your question to 9292. That's our mobile number. So, or give us a buzz. 0800 80 10 80. We'd love your question. Jess is standing by. Joining us now, Nathan Wallace, one of New Zealand's leading neuroscience educators focusing on child development and how the brain actually works. Hello there, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hello. How, how are you, too? mate? Yeah, we're oh. good, thanks. Yeah, I'm good too. Good to hear. So where are you at the moment? You're travelling the country, speaking, doing all your engagements? No, I'm off to Hamilton tomorrow, but I'm at home today. Got a home day, right. so that's good. Where is home? Home's Auckland now. I've always lived in um, you know, in the South Island. I lived yeah. in Christchurch the last 22 years, but I just shifted to Auckland a year ago to make this um, TV series with Māori TV. Oh, nice. What are most parents concerned about at the moment, do you reckon, Nathan? I think it's still really about the impacts of COVID. You know, really? um, you get the stuff about the RAM raids with teenagers and what's happening with teenagers, but it's all about stress levels and um, anxiety and um, depression, which seems to be a lot of them connects to COVID and the isolation from that. I've been reading a lot lately on deep breathing. Now, I thought it was kind of like just a bit of bogus stuff, but right, the no. more I read, the more I deep, just deep breathing in and of itself is apparently quite an amazing thing for the body. And that's a, yeah, it is. It's because, um, you know, when you uh, your survival brain, when it's aroused, you're going to be breathing irregularly. Like if you think, if you're being chased, your ancestors being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, then you're going to be sort of going, <laughs> you know, it's going to be all over the place and irregular. If you were counting right. your breaths in and out, that would be an irregular pattern. It would be two, one, zero, 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 two, one, you know, it'd be really shallow and quick. Right. So when you override that and you breathe, the, one of the literature they advocate right now is just called 646. Breathe in on the count of six and out on the count of four and on the count of six. When you regulate your breathing like that, it sends a direct message to your whole central nervous system that you can't really be in a state of anxiety. Because, you, you know, when your ancestors were being chased by that saber-toothed tiger, what other chances they stopped halfway through and went one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four. They wouldn't have, you know, or they'd be lunch. So right. it's just a really nice, clear way to communicate to your body that you're not in a state of distress. And therefore that reduces the anxiety you might be feeling. Yeah, yeah, it does, because so, all of that anxiety is about your brainstem being aroused instead of your frontal cortex, brain number four, the most recently evolved one. That's where right. you've got, you know, compassion and the ability to control your emotions and higher intelligence. But it kind of works on a set of scales with um, that brainstem, brain number one, that does your survival stuff and sets your rates of anxiety. And it's kind of in charge, number one, because, you know, survival's the prime director. So really right. it's about keeping that brain nice and calm. That's why meditation and prayer and mindfulness and all of those things work, really, because they're really just calming that brainstem down, which then gives so, you access on the other side of the scales, if you like, to that so frontal cortex where the good stuff is. So 646, six, breathe in for six, is that right? How's it yep, work? that's right. And out and for four. The idea four. is you release a little bit more, so you breathe out a little bit quicker on the out. Okay. Okay, 646. Six. Uh, we've got a text here from Sue. Hi guys, a question for Nathan. We have a sweet-natured 12-year-old daughter who just ignores our requests. She's not confrontational, she just doesn't do what we ask, like tidy your room, empty the dishwasher, go and brush your teeth. We've stripped privileges and so on for not complying, but it doesn't seem to change her behaviour. I've always thought she couldn't be bothered or had her head in the clouds, but someone has mentioned inattentive ADJD. It's a four-month wait for a psychologist appointment, any advice in the meantime? Um, yeah, I mean, it's good that you're look, seeking out a psychologist appointment because it's always good to check. Um, I would try using a reward-based system with her. 
you know, you like rather than punishing her and taking things away, um, rewarding her with like you're allowed your cell phone or your iPad or your computer or your video game um, for this many hours if you do this task, and then you get it for another hour if you do this task, and that way you're encouraging her and she's got a reward rather than taking something away and punishing. Mm. You know, I always yeah. think they go back to the very start and ask, you know, I'd be interested to ask her directly in a way right. that she feels safe and free to answer freely, but um, why? You know, she might have, she might actually explain to us why. Is it because she Carrot, just can't be bothered so. or does she mm. forget or, yeah, what's the problem? Very good. Nathan, we have a five-year-old who seems to suffer from anxiety. There's nothing right. particularly but worrying about losing things, worrying if they're late and upsetting mum and dad, all very small things, but just really worried, wakes up in a panic. Is this normal? Um, no, I can't lie and say it's normal. I mean, kids go through phases, so if it's something they've been doing for two weeks, then yes, it's normal. Um, but if it's a recurring behaviour that's happening over and over again with a five-year-old, that does you know, show some signs of anxiety, which in itself is kind of normal. But yeah, they're right to be concerned and to want to think you know how can we mitigate that so why would a five-year-old be and why would a five-year-old be anxious with those sorts of things oh because you know anxiousness down in your brainstem doesn't really need logic you know in a child's world they could have found you know the door slamming to give them you know anxiety it doesn't right. have to be anything that logical that we would understand it's often right. more to do with timing than it is to do with logic but, you know, mm. and we've been in this COVID world where everyone's been talking about people dying rapidly and we all have to put masks on and protect ourselves, you know. There's lots of things to scare a five-year-old that they can misinterpret as thinking they need to be on hyper-arousal. Mm. So, but what often goes with that is a very black and white thinking, right and wrong. So one of the things you can do with a child like that is encourage way more creativity, way more open-ended resources like art and Play-Doh and Lego and things that don't have a right-wrong answer. You know, um, encourage conversations that don't have a right-wrong answer. Ask, what does the tooth fairy look like, do you think? You know, have conversations like that because it draws the child away from the black and white thinking of right and wrong that often we associate with anxiety. What great advice. Mm. Every second uh, Tuesday, we're joined by Nathan Wallace, New Zealand's leading neuroscience educator. Thank you again, Nathan, for your time, mate. Oh, it's wonderful. It's interesting, the questions that we get. I know. Yeah, we, sometimes we, they'll be reflecting for a few days afterwards. <laughs> well, we're the same, actually. That's why we really enjoy this segment. Angus is on the line with us with a question. Hello, Angus. Yeah, g'day, guys. Um, Nathan, uh, two questions, please. I okay. remember hearing you at one of your events once say that learning a musical instrument before a certain age is almost as good as learning a second language. Um, yep. What was that That's age? Right. What was that age? It was seven. Seven seems to be the magical age because when you start to learn a musical instrument before the age of seven, it actually changes the structure of your brain and it seems to thicken the corpus callosum. And the corpus callosum is that band of fibers that joins the left and the right hand brain. So it's really central to brain function. It's associated with um, like emotional control and emotional regulation, um, like what we might call multitasking and that ability to flick. We call it cognitive flexibility academically, but you're flicking from one side of the brain to the other. Actually, women have a much more detailed corpus callosum than men. I often joke with um, parents that if you think of it as a bridge, because it is kind of a bridge, the corpus callosum, that joins the left and the right-hand brain, then women have a major six-lane highway bridge where there's no traffic jams and no speed limits, and it's like the auto-German bar. And so if women have a six-lane highway, men kind of have a swing bridge at the back of the banks. So um, that's, why, that's why men are not famous for multitasking, whereas you know, women that are. That is yeah. fascinating. But if a boy well, learns well, a musical instrument before the age of seven, he has a corpus callosum the same as a female's. 
So you could then theorise that uh, that child is going to grow up to be able to emotionally regulate just as well as a female, and probably to multitask just as well as a female. Very good. And Angus, you had a second question? Yeah, um, uh, second question. Um, my two-year-old is uh, having um, consistent night terrors at the moment. Is there anything I can do to help curb uh, that? Uh, yeah, they are fairly normal night terrors. Um, you know, they come, it's often just part of their processing of fear and how they learn about fear. Um, so I would just do a general like YouTube search because there's some really good clips on there. I can't actually think of the author's names on the top of my head, but I know there are some good clips where if you just go onto YouTube and search up Night Terrors two-year-olds. That's very good. Angus Night Terrors for two to four-year-olds. It's got some really good advice on it. Night Terrors for two to four-year-olds on YouTube. Yeah, okay, but it is Hopefully. fairly normal. It's nothing for you to worry about at this point. It's just you know be part of their natural cognitive development and how they process learning about fear. Good. Hope that helps, Angus. Thank you for calling, mate. Michael, hi there. Yeah, hi guys. Um, my, I've got a daughter who is now 17 um, and she was born with a congenitive heart defect um, called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and uh, when she was about, <clears throat> wasn't diagnosed until she was about 11 or 12 and she collapsed and her uh, heart stopped and she stopped breathing briefly, uh, had to be resuscitated by um, uh, paramedics uh, uh, walking up a hill at school. Um, and she obviously survived, but she's collapsed probably two or three times similarly oh. um, and have to be resuscitated since. Um, she's now got an ICD in, in, in her chest um, that helps pace and, and regulate the heartbeat. Right. But now, because she's so scared that she's going to collapse and die effectively, um, which is an awful thought, but uh, that's the yeah. situation. Um, she's scared to leave her immediate family, even though she's nearly 17 now. Um, right. And she's tried to sort of go for little tiny walks, even a few hundred metres from her immediate family or home. And and she ends up having a panic attack. And right. she's really smart and she's um, enrolled to do law at Auckland University next year. Right. But we're mm -hmm. trying to work out how the heck we're going to get her from home to university when she can't even leave home for 100 metres or so without having a panic attack. Mm. Yeah, I think um, like when we say she's 17, 17 is actually quite young. To deal with news like that and to have had those experiences must have been very traumatic for her. And so I think actually, you know, I would just be nurturing her. I wouldn't be pushing her too fast to go. Maybe you delay going to do law for a year. She's going to be just yeah, as we, we don't. Year's time. <laughs> We're mm. not pushing her at all. That's the no. whole thing. She's just so... She's very ambitious and very smart and extremely yep. studious. She wants to go, and, right. and but she realises at the moment there's a bridge yep. that she has to cross, That's and right. she wants to do everything. We are having um, uh, weekly or fortnightly appointments with a psychologist, and Good on you. she is on mild medication for anxiety, yep. but I just yep. thought that you might be aware of something else that we could try as well. Or in Yeah, I just think you can relieve a lot of the stress that she might be putting on herself because she's a high achiever and she wants to get out there and do it. So you might relieve a lot of that stress by saying, honey, it's quite natural that you feel the way that you feel, and it's fine if you take, you know, need to take another year to... Um, you know, to come to terms with it and to, to build up, you know, I'm thinking for her brain to get old enough that that frontal cortex kicks in more. You know, by 18, she's got a whole lot more of it. She'll be able to regulate her emotions better. So basically give her permission to take a year off almost. 
oh yeah, give her permission that it's all right that she's um, finding it difficult. That's all right that mm. um, that she's got to learn some strategies for self calming. Um, there might be some. I think about the um, research I was reading recently, and it's a different thing, but it was people um, about had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and were going to die, and um, a lot of that and fear about death. Um, you know, it was actually the cure was more like a spiritual understanding of what do they think happens after they die, and sort of coming to peace with that sort of stuff. If you take away that fear of death, it can um, allow you to live a whole lot easier. Michael, I hope that helps. I've Thank been you. That research recently, I don't know yeah. what your you know beliefs yeah. and views are on that, but yeah. Michael, thank you very much for your question, and hopefully um, that helps. Nathan, look, it's it's always just great. We just run out of time. Yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah. lots of texts. That was a big yeah. question that last one, wasn't it? It was. It really was, and that's what we love also about the segment. We've got a bunch of questions on mm. text, so folks, thanks for sending them in. We will keep these, and uh, when we have Nathan on in a fortnight, we'll get through as many as we can. Nathan, thank you very much again, mate. Right, thanks, thank Nathan. you, guys. Cheers Always for that. Have a good. good one. You too. You too. Nathan okay. Wallace. Leading neuroscience educator. Seven minutes. The brain's highly complex, yeah. isn't it? I mean, when you hear. Do you reckon? <laughs> I wanted to ask him, you know, is it, how do you keep learning? What's Where does he go for new You know, when I went back to university at age 42, I worried about that I, that I was learning too many things and things are falling out the other end. I'm serious. Yeah. I wasn't on drugs at the time. <laughs> but yeah, you keep well, learning. Uh, you do. I, I love that uh, analogy of the highway bridge for, for women. Yes. I swing think I have that though. And men is what? I don't have a swing bridge. I've got a highway. I've got a multi. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm an anomaly. You got it. Seven minutes to four. Mine's got traffic, <laughs> cranes, a few men working on a the lot road. Of red game. lights. <laughs> yeah, a few lollipop there. The old lollipop stop and go signs. It's all there. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.